Now, every man um, believes that their wife is the best wife in the world, and that's absolutely the way that it should be. They absolutely should believe that their wife is the very best wife in the world. It just happens that every other man in the world is wrong because my wife is the very best in the world. Um, so you're in for an absolute treat. I'm so incredibly proud of this woman. Uh, she is an awesome wife, an awesome mother, um, and in this setting, it's only fair that I say she is the woman that actually led me to Christ, and so I will literally, genuinely be eternally grateful to her for that. Um, but she has got a powerful, powerful word for you uh, this evening, um, and she is super excited to deliver it to you, so I'm not going to stand in her way any longer. Let's give it up for my beautiful wife, Mrs. Molly Moore. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hey! <laughs> All right. Let me get situated. I'm sorry. Hello. I am very, very, very happy to be standing here in front of all of you this evening. And I am grateful to God for setting this up. And I'm thankful for Pastor Phil and Kelly and thankful to them for giving me this opportunity to share my story. But before I start, let's do a short prayer. Dear Lord God, I just thank you so much for this moment. Thank you, Lord, for making this happen, Lord God. And I just want to do, I want to do well for you, Lord God. And I'm just asking that everyone here, Lord, everyone is here that needs to be here. Everyone here that is supposed to be here is here, Lord God. And I just thank you for giving them the ability to get here tonight. And I just pray, Lord God, your protection around this church and around each one of us that are here tonight, Lord. I pray your protection on our minds, our bodies, and our spirits, Lord God. And I just pray that everyone here is open in their heart and in their mind to receive and in their spirit to receive what it is that you have given me to deliver to them. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a little overwhelmed there, so, because, which is interesting, because the first line in here is, this is a big deal. That's my first line. <laughs> okay, if I get black under my eyes, just ignore it. Okay, I'm over it. Okay, me standing here in front of you is a big deal. Now, I did not say that I am, because I am absolutely not a big deal. Me standing up here in front of you all is a big deal. It's the big deal, because God is the big deal. He is the reason, and he is the one, and he is the one who has called me to be here. All I did was listen. And now, here I am, and trying to calm down. And I will get there, I promise, I swear. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now I am here for the first time ever getting to share my story in a public place, on a stage, in front of people. Because now, I must be ready. God has been getting me ready for this moment right here for a very long time. It's a moment that I have desired and imagined many times in my mind. I have visioned this moment since 2008 because I was called 10 years ago to do what I am doing right now in my life and what I am doing right now on this stage. I just had to wait for the right time, which was God's time. A friend of mine saw the post on Facebook about this tonight, and she sent me a word of encouragement, along with a quote by a speaker and author, uh, Brene Brown. I think that's how you say it. The quote goes, You either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. And here I am owning it. 
I will be vulnerable tonight as I share my story, and my hope is that it will impact someone. I'm hoping at least one of you will relate with my story and take to heart what God has given me to share with you. It's always my hope to inspire. So, I think I'm finally calm. (laughs) That was good that God set this up with a a bit of a chit-chat before I got started with the story because... I'm still trying to catch my breath. Okay, so I'm just a girl standing here in front of you asking you to open your heart for the next 30 minutes and listen to this message that was laid on my heart. Allow me to share my heart with yours. So, thank you, Star. So what makes this moment such a big deal? Well, even though one day I knew I would be standing up here, the enemy did not want me up here ever. The enemy has fought very hard against me. And I certainly did make it easy for him for a very long time. You see, for almost two decades, I was in prison. Not literally, but figuratively. Prison was the best place for me to be in order for him to accomplish his plan for my life. But in all that time, God always had his plan for my life. God gave me the gift of encouragement. This gift works best if I am around people. And in prison, I was secluded, and I was not able to do the thing that I was put on earth to do. That thing is to encourage people and inspire hope. Listen, in case you didn't know this, let me tell you, or maybe you just need to be reminded, the devil absolutely hates your guts. He detests you, and he loathes the very idea of you. The beginning of John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've always said that the enemy wanted to steal my peace, kill my hopes and my future, therefore destroying my life and any chance of me working for God's kingdom here on earth. You see, my prison was anxiety, and I am an extreme, I was, typo there, I was an extreme case of anxiety. The doctor called it agoraphobia. As well, another diagnosis that was given to me was social anxiety disorder. I'm going to tell you all about it, but first, let me tell you what those two labels mean. Agoraphobia, an abnormal, extreme, or irrational fear of crowded spaces or enclosed public places, sometimes accompanied by anxiety attacks. And then social anxiety disorder, an intense anxiety or fear of being judged, negatively evaluated, or rejected in a social or performance situation. So... If I am still agoraphobic, agoraphobic, however you say it, potato, potato, and if I still had social anxiety disorder, then by definition, I would not be standing up here right now. This is an enclosed place. We have a little crowd here, and I'm standing here in front of you making myself available for your judgment and negative evaluation. So since I am standing here, you must know that I have escaped that prison. But listen, I still get anxious from time to time. Hello. Because I am human. And something you must know is anxiety is an emotion. All human beings are created by God and with emotion. Something very important to note is that God knew anxieties would be present in this world. Anxiety is not some 20th century word. Have you opened the Bible? The word anxiety is mentioned eight times in the English Standard Version, which is one of the most accurate translations from the original languages. If you look through the Bible, you will find synonyms like trouble, heaviness, and distress. 
If you read the Bible, you will gain knowledge. Knowledge is power. The Bible is the truth. And knowing the truth is powerful for your well-being. And one of many truths found in the, books, in the book of his words is that God knew we would, face, we would be faced with anxiety in this world. Okay, now I'm going to share some disheartening statistics with you in a moment. But first, let me give you a picture of what, what anxiety is because some of you may have never experienced it to the extreme. Okay, Max Lucado gives an excellent illustration. Fear is the pulse that pounds you when you see a coiled rattlesnake in your front yard. Anxiety is the voice that tells you never, ever for the rest of your life walk barefoot through the grass because there might be a snake somewhere. Fear is a basic survival mechanism. Fear was created for us to keep us safe from danger. We react with a fight-or-flight response because I'm running from the snake, okay? If if there's a snake out there, I'm not going to stay out there. Anxiety, however, is a perceived threat. A person with an anxiety disorder obsessively wonders what if and creates doom and gloom. I've said in recent years that anxiety seems to have become an epidemic and a sneaky one at that, one that has come in under the radar And back when I first experienced a panic attack over 20 years ago, I knew no one who had ever had one. I had never even heard the word panic attack or the word anxiety before. I obviously didn't read my Bible. I could find nothing for many years about anxiety after it happened to me. But that sure has changed, right? It's everywhere now. And I know way too many people who experience anxiety and panic attacks. So here are some interesting sad but real statistics that confirm my suspicions. Okay, I'm just going to go with it. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. Within one year, 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, a phobia, or a disorder. Anxiety is the number one mental health problem among women, second to alcohol and drug abuse among men. The U.S. is the most anxious nation in the world. And since stress-related ailments cost our nation $300 billion every year, I read that wrong, stress-related ailments cost our nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and loss in productivity. And to date, there are 71 different anxiety medications. (laughs) There was, I had extra in there, I cut it. Before anyone assumes that I am against someone taking anti-anxiety medication, or in case you wonder what my stance is on that, let me assure you of something. I personally am for medication if it is prescribed to you by a qualified doctor who is out for your best interest. While I do believe in medication to help someone suffering with anxiety, I do not believe that the medication is the end-all and the be-all. It is a tool to help in the process of healing. Healing is a process, and the time of this process will be different for everyone. Think about when you have a flesh wound. That wound isn't going to heal overnight, and depending on how deep that wound is, is going to depend on how long it takes for that wound to heal. You may require a bandage to aid in the process of the healing, but that bandage is not going to heal the wound. What I highly recommend is alongside the medication and perhaps counseling, learn God's word. This is something that actually will cause the healing to take place and from deep within. 
Take time in understanding the word of God while you are healing. Take time to gain a closer relationship with God. Get to know him more. And while using medication for the balance of your mind and the strength, uh, while you are using the medication for the balance of your mind, strengthen your spirit. Then when you get off the medication, you will have those spiritual tools that remain in you because they are planted deep down and have taken root. The words of God even renew the mind. I believe ultimately that anxiety is a spiritual thing. And with someone who is open to receive that as truth and work on it, it can be corrected. I am proof. Okay. What do we do about anxiety? How do we process it? How are we to handle it? Because anxiety is a very real, real emotion. Even if you don't have a disorder, you likely experience anxiety on some level. Well, you're in luck because the Bible gives the solution. Let me share this quote by Max Lucado. He's a good author, by the way. Author. He says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. That's good, huh? I am going to touch more on the solution, solution shortly, but first I'm finally going to tell you my story. I'm long-winded. I will be 45 years old in a few months. And for the first 22 years of my life, I was a social butterfly. I was a go-go-goer, as my mom called me. I was on stage, on television, and in stadiums performing dance routines from age 5 up to graduating high school. I flew to New York City as a 13-year-old without my parents or anyone that I knew. I was a popular girl all through high school. I never thought I'd say that. Being crowned homecoming queen and prom queen. But why, why do I have a point in telling you this? I swear. <laughs> Why did I receive those honors? Because I was friendly and I was social. I have, all right, so I promise you this. I do not live in the glory days as they call it. In fact, you couldn't pay me to go back to high school. These are my glory days right now. Okay, so I married young. I married at age 20, not to Pete. Foolishly, I married a man I knew only a few weeks because he asked me. He lived in a different state. And I wanted to live in the city that he was located in, Houston. I had plans to be a graphic designer and wanted to attend their art institute. It all made sense in my 20-year-old brain. And I liked him, what I knew of him. So I said, yes. I know, shake your head. But I was young and naive and foolish as well, spontaneous, with not much of a good head on my shoulders and no clue about real life. <laughs> so at age 20, I left my bubble. The man I married was 11 years my senior. He was set in his ways, and he was a, okay, some of you will get this. He was a perfect melancholy combined with a powerful caloric. I am a sanguine, and if you know anything about personalities, you'll know we were quite opposite. I wanted to laugh and play and have fun and talk, and he liked that about me when he first met me, but then he didn't like it. So over time, not too long into the marriage, I changed. I became a perfect melancholy. And I tried to be someone I wasn't in order to please someone that I married. Age 22, I had my first son, Scotty. When he was a few months old, my now ex-husband wanted to travel to another state to do something that I did not want to do. But I had no choice, I thought. So I went. I left my brand new little baby boy with my in-laws and traveled 725 miles away. Along the way, I felt sick. I went to the bathroom on the plane over and over. 
until I wasn't allowed any longer. And when that happened, I lost it. I lost it. If it was after 9-11, they would have handcuffed me to the seat until we arrived to our destination. But it wasn't. This was 1996. I just sat in my seat, consumed with feelings I had never felt before. No one could speak to me nor touch me. I didn't understand it at all. And when we landed for our layover, I ran to the bathroom, got sick some more. I was shaking. I was short of breath. I felt like I was going to die. I thought I was crazy. I thought I went crazy. And I refused to board the next plane. My ex-husband rented a car, and we drove the rest of the way. But my life was never, ever the same again. Over the following year, I went to a doctor and a counselor. I was told that I had social anxiety disorder and needed cognitive therapy. I just knew I was crazy. I had lost the plot, as Pete would say. The thing is, I was fine when I was at home, but anytime I had to go anywhere, I would freak out. Home was my safe place. My tummy would be a mess. I have a four-year-old. I said tummy, didn't I? My belly would be a mess, and I couldn't stay out of the bathroom. My marriage eventually came to an end the following year, which is not very shocking, really, because it had no foundation to begin with, and combined that with my issues, it was a horrible mix. At age 24, I had become a divorced, single mom of this wonderful little baby boy. I was back in Baton Rouge. I got a job. I got an apartment, and I worked hard, and it was very difficult, and to go to work each day was very challenging. There were many days I didn't even make it. I would finally leave the driveway and get down the road, only to turn back around and go home. I eventually saw another doctor. He is the one who let me know that I was agoraphobic, and he put me on medication. That medication only made my stomach hurt, and that would trigger a panic attack. So I stopped. I wouldn't take it. I would drive to work with my hands so tightly around the steering wheel, I had white knuckles. I still remember sitting in my car at a red light and looking over at the cars next to me, wishing I could be normal like they were. Every second of the drive, I was obsessively thinking about the drive, and it was exhausting. I was invited to church. I hadn't been in years. I grew up in church but stopped when I graduated high school. I decided to go. That was tough trying to fit in with those young people. I was divorced, and I was a single mom. And this was the late 90s. I was the only one I knew in the church that was young and divorced. I felt like an outcast. I would have panic attacks in church. I remember thinking to myself, this shouldn't be happening. I'm in church for goodness sake. I still continue going to church each week. I tried to live right. I tried to make good choices. I tried and I tried and I tried to do everything right. I exhausted and burnt myself out trying so hard to please God. At that time, what I thought, pleasing God. I've learned differently since. Now, eventually, I met someone and started hanging out with him. He was really into smoking pot, so I tried it. This helped me. I added in gold schlager shots on occasions, and I was handling that anxiety. I was numbing myself to it. I smoked pot every day after I discovered it. Not kidding. Definitely for one year, 365 days, every single day. The addition of the shots came only on the weekends when Scotty was with his father. The weekends were for me to escape the anxiety. I had, you know, booze and weed and then one-night stands. And at a certain point, I was drowning in debt and couldn't pay my bills. I declared bankruptcy. Thankfully, I got to keep my house and my car, and I went on surviving. 
I continued the same cycle for a long time until I got a foreclosure notice. I really felt like a failure at this point. All I could think of was that I had a little boy who was depending on me. I was desperate. And on a weekend that Scotty was, was with his father, I decided to go to one of my father's friends. He was a family friend I had known since I was a little bitty girl. He had lots of money, so I asked him for a loan. He offered to help me and said that I didn't even need to pay him back. Instead, I could just have sex with him. I was shocked, shocked that he even suggested this, and even more shocked that I actually considered it. I went home and laid on my couch and got high because that was when I knew I had hit the bottom. It was no wonder because I was so weary and weighed down. I was carrying such heavy burdens, and I was so exhausted and so very desperate. I was so desperate, in fact, I finally decided to cry out to God. I know exactly what I said, exactly, because I've said it a million times since to tell people. I was high as a kite. I was laying on my couch, depressed as can be, and I just cried out to God and said, God, please help me. I am exhausted, and I just cannot do this anymore. This, I was referring to, was life. I did not have the strength any longer, and I could not do life anymore. I got to the end of myself, and I was totally broken and had completely lost myself. I had no idea who I was anymore. I had no clue of the scripture at the time, but, not, but now knowing what I know and looking back on that evening in my life, I do know what I did. I simply did what Matthew eleven twenty eight says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I absolutely love the message version. Are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I was all of the above. Well, when you lose yourself, you find yourself. And for the next two verses following Matthew 28, they say, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Just love that verse. And that's exactly what happened. That evening in January of 2001, I cried myself to sleep on that couch, and I woke up in the middle of the night with the TV still on. Pastor Larry Stock still was on the screen inviting folks to church. I'd never been to that church, but my grandmother went there. He said the topic was on restoration, specifically family restoration. Within the week... The man that I hated, loathed, and detested, my ex-husband, contacted me out of the blue and said that he forgave me. Strangely, I did not even get angry with him because that evening, before that evening on the couch, if he'd have called me and said that, I would have said, you forgive me? How about asking me to forgive you? But instead, I said, okay. God had softened my heart. We were married again within a couple of months. After being divorced for three years, I thought it was the right thing to do. It made sense. I wanted my family to be together. I wanted a father for my son. I wanted peace, and I wanted stability, and it just made sense. So I moved back to Texas. It was just the three of us. I call it 
my time in the wilderness because I got into the word big time. I listened to pastor sermons. I listened to Christian music. I completed an online course all about the Bible and finished and got a certificate. Only a couple of months before that, I couldn't even say the name Jesus out loud because I felt so unworthy. But something in me was different, and I had begun a new life. Let's finish John 10.10 from earlier. I'll remind you of the first part. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then Jesus continues and says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that's exactly what I was living proof of. I still had anxiety. I still continued smoking pot and justified it as my medication, if I'm honest, until I became pregnant with Kobe. Sorry. A few months later, I became pregnant with Kobe, my middle child. I stopped the pot and listened to self-help, self-help cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. Yes, y'all, I said cassette tapes. <laughs> About anxiety, trying to learn how to stop it. I had tried prescription drugs, illegal drugs, therapists, and now self-help. None of it really helped in the big picture. But then I discovered something. In reading the Bible, I discovered this verse. And this verse became a life for me. It was the first verse I memorized as as an adult. I began speaking this verse out loud personally every time I went anywhere outside of the home. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when I read that, I was like, wait a minute. God didn't give me this fear, which means it could have only come from the enemy. And if God didn't give it to me, then I don't want it. Instead, I'll receive that power, that love, and that sound mind. The idea of a sound mind, I remember, the idea of a sound mind, it really interested me because it was something I hadn't had in so long. It was that verse that got me across a bridge, up an elevator, through the store to get what was needed, and it was God's word that got me through the OBGYN visits and the delivery of Kobe. We eventually moved back to Baton Rouge. I became a successful realtor. And while my relationship was growing stronger and stronger and my career was growing more and more successful, my marriage was deteriorating. I was miserable in my marriage. I tried hard to make the marriage work, but I was still without personal boundaries and relationship boundaries. And I was still a people pleaser. I still had an anxiety disorder. I tried desperately to please my husband, and without success, this would devastate me regularly. I became depressed for a short time. I started praying that God would help me to to stop trying to please any man. I began asking God every morning to give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know him better. I prayed that God would fill me with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that his spirit can give so that I may live a life worthy of him and may please him in every way. That's a scripture, by the way. I just made it my own. That's what I do all the time. That's what we should do. In 2007, something amazing happened. I was on my knees in my living room, and no one else was home. I was listening to praise and worship music. I have to inter- interject something that was it's not on my notes, so I'm a squirrel just for a second. The two songs that were played, I had no idea what was being played, but both of them about the river, you know, come to the river, and then the first one was about river. The song that I was on my knees to was about a river. I'll I'll just never, it was about jumping in the river. I can't remember, it was a Bethany song, and it was so good. But anyway, I just had to interject that, because the river, y'all, it's a big deal. (laughs) It's a big deal. Okay, 
I didn't know that before, but anyway, I did. It was that moment in the fall. Okay, hold on. I just got ahead of myself. In 2007, something amazing happened. I was on my knees in my living room, and no one else was home. I was listening to praise and worship music and praying to God. I got up from the floor, and I walked down the hall, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I literally fell to my bed because I lost my footing, and I just cried, and I cried. It was that moment in the fall of 2007 that I realized that God loved me just as I was, that he accepted me there and then, and that I didn't need to do anything at all to prove myself to him or make him love me. He was never, ever going to love me more or less than he did at that very moment. Accepting God's love for me changed everything. I had been building a relationship with God for six years at this point. But all that time, I still somehow thought I had to earn his love. That I had to do right for him. Everything. That I had to do everything right so that he would be pleased with me. I had to become like a certain way for him to accept me. I was wrong. And he showed me clearly. It is a moment I will never forget. And it was shortly after that, my ex-husband left and he never came back. For the next few months, my boys and I began again, and it was fresh, and it was good, and I had no idea what the future held for me, but I knew I had all I needed, and that we were going to be okay. We were thriving. We were no longer just surviving and making it through another day. There was peace in our home like there hadn't been before. Life was good, and my priorities were God, my boys, work, and church. And then something else amazing happened. I had been praying for my husband, one who would lead my family as a servant leader. I prayed that God would enlighten him so that he would look for ways to make us more grounded and more secure in Christ. I prayed that my husband would be surrendered to the Holy Spirit so that he would hear from God. I prayed for a husband that would never misrepresent God. And I prayed for my husband to see me and understand me and honor me so that he is blessed. Well, the following year, I met Pete. Check, 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 right? God heard me, and he connected me with that which I had prayed for when the time was right. God had planned Pete for me and me for Pete. Nothing was going to stop it. Not lack of money, not immigration, not the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) If it's God's purpose and plan for your life, nothing can stop it. If it's not God's purpose and plan for your life, nothing can make it happen. Sometime that next year, I saw a new doctor who helped me with some medication for the anxiety issue that I still had. And I continued forward. My relationship with God only got closer and closer, and I was gaining more and more knowledge and understanding. And then we found this church, this one that we're in right now. (laughs) And we became a part of a family. We were living a good life, prospering in all areas. Still, though, I could not shake the anxiety in full. I always thought anxiety needed to be completely gone from my life in order for God to use me for his kingdom until I finally realized something. As strange as it may sound, anxiety was something that God allowed me to experience, and he did that for me. He allowed me to go through all I had gone through and learn all I had learned so that I could fulfill my purpose, which is also his plan for my life. That purpose is to be an inspiration of hope to others. And in September of 2016, 
I stopped taking anxiety medication, and I haven't had any since. Thank you. How did that happen after years of depending on it? Well, a few things happened. I began eating healthier. I stopped drinking soda in 2014. That was after the passing of my father with cancer. I kept sugar intake to a minimum. And this all helped decrease the anxiety symptoms I was experiencing. I learned a lot about nutrition and what I'm feeding myself. I had a great revelation about the connection between body, mind, and spirit because we're made up of all three. I also paid attention more to what I was feeding myself from the media. I set personal boundaries and boundaries in relationships. I removed toxicity in my life. God created us mind, body, and spirit, and all three are equally important in our being. In order for us to have balance, we must treat all three with high regard. So that's what I made sure to do, and the result was no more anxiety medication. I stayed in the Word all this time, and I have gained so much more knowledge than I could have ever thought. I will never learn it all, and I always say the more I learn, the more I learn I don't know. I have had many challenges over the years, but made it through stronger on the other side. And six months ago, I added in something that has been a game changer for me. Meditation. I meditate on scripture. And in hindsight, I shouldn't be surprised at the impact that this has made on my life. Because the Bible says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So what I do is I wake early in the morning before everyone else is awake to have my date with God. And I am excited. It sounds crazy, but I swear I'm excited the night before setting my alarm clock. Many times he wakes me up. I don't even wait for the alarm clock. But I get to meet with him one-on-one with no distractions. I had never been a morning person. Ask Pete. I was not a morning person before I began meditation. Now it's an event. I get my coffee, I grab my blanket, and I sit on my favorite chair by the window and watch the day break. Prayer is not meditation. Prayer is awesome, and prayer is something I do daily, and it is part of our communication with God. When we pray, we thank and we ask, but listening is key as well. And meditation helps you to listen. It helps you focus on God and his agenda. Meditation helps you center on God and what he has to say. Now, I've taken notice that God has closed doors and opened new ones for me since 2007. And when I received his love, that's when I received his love for me. I have learned to trust him and take him at his word no matter what I think or feel. And I know that God's word is always right. And God's word is the solution to the problem. I tried drugs, alcohol, food, relationships, self-loathing, sex, religion, including new age, and more. None of that worked. The only thing that worked to help me arrive at where I am today is truth. Being honest with myself, being honest about my mistakes, acknowledging what has happened in my life, asking for forgiveness, taking responsibility and forgiving others and myself, then moving forward into now and looking forward to the future. Now you all have a story and you all can impact others with your story because you were created to love and to be love. I believe things happen for us, not to us. Our story was created for us to live out and to share. And in that story, there are going to be some hardships, but they too are part of the story. 
what kind of impact are you going to make if your story has no trouble? And the reality is everyone has some sort of trouble that comes to their lives. And because, we, because we're all on this planet, Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Take him at his word, y'all. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. So you see, our surprise at our trouble, our getting angry with God because we have upsets and challenges and burdens, it's foolish. We have got to take God at his word. He said we would have trials and sorrows, so do not be surprised when you do. Instead, take note, because that trial that you are going through is for a greater purpose than you. It is part of your story, and when you come out, when you come out on the other side, God will be glorified. We were made to glorify God, so be honored that he has chosen you. Now, I said earlier that anxiety is inevitable. Know that. But also know you can work through it. And you can, with God's help, escape that prison that you may be trapped in. I, it will require work on your part. And here's what I recommend. Get to know God. You can't trust someone you don't know, right? So, of course, you're having a hard time trusting God if you aren't getting to know him. Get to know him by opening up his words to you. I promise you, you will learn to trust him. Create your own routine, however it works out for you. Make him a priority. Read the word every day. Develop a good prayer life and meditate on his word. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The end. That's the end. So let's. I'm gonna, oh, thank you. Okay. Oh, Star, you're so cute. I love you. All right, we're just gonna pray, and then um, Pastor Pete is gonna come up here and close us out. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for this time that we had together tonight, Lord. Thank you for getting me through this, Lord. Thank you for allowing us all to get here today, Lord. Lord, I know that darkness cannot stand up to you because you are the higher power. And I pray that each person here feels your presence in this place. And in your presence, God, we know that pain and sickness and disease and depression, addiction and fear have no place. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that covers us, that heals us, that transforms us, and that forgives us, Lord, and that sets us free. I pray that each and every person hearing this prayer right now decides that your blood is sufficient for them and that they stand on your promise from this day forward. And for those who don't know this promise, I pray, Lord, that they receive that for themselves tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Praise God. I'm a bit choked up right now, so do forgive me. <coughs> that is, um, that's amazing, and I don't believe I'm being biased. Um, it's an incredible achievement for her to actually be up here, and it is one, it's 100% God um, that she delivered that message. Is that impactful for everybody this evening? I mean, just thank you for your openness and transparency. And um, again, very, very moving for everybody here, particularly me, I'm sure. 
All right, guys. Well, listen, the key factor to the whole message there, I mean, everybody's story is different. And as Molly said, you know, we all do have stories. You have stories. And your story is no less impactful than Molly's, no less impactful than Pastor Phillips, no less impactful than mine. The key factor to what it is that Molly is talking about here is the acceptance of God's love and the full understanding that what it is that you're going through, what it is that you have been through, is for a far higher purpose and a greater purpose. And that purpose is not complex. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It's quite simply this, that your burdens, the challenges that you've gone through are for the impact and for the benefit of those people that are around you. It would be far easier for Molly to have not stood behind this pulpit tonight. It would have been far easier for her not to have struggled to go back in her mind as to all of the challenges that she's faced over the years. It would be far easier for her to do what she did 20 years ago and just stay at home. It's far easier for you sometimes to do the equivalent thing and to just to keep your own challenges and everything to yourself and battle on through them. But that's not what we're called to do. Well, it's not what we're called to do. So I'm just going to offer up the opportunity, as we always do at the end of any message in this place, in this house, we always offer the opportunity for those, anybody here who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know that love, has never accepted that love from Christ, and they want to do that right now, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to raise your hand right now for me, if you would. Don't be shy about it. If your situation is, as I said, that you don't know the Lord, please raise your hand for us, and we'll just pray for you right now. Praise God. How about anybody that was impacted by that message this evening that might be just going through something, through some form of anxiety? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just break off short for, for a short while, and then I'll come back. Okay, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. We just thank you for all things, God. We thank you for who it is that you are. We thank you for that peace that surpasses all understanding. We say that line so often in this house, Father God, but never, ever let it just be words because we we just accept fully, Lord, that any peace that we have is from you. Anything that is good that we have comes from you. We just thank you for that peace that does surpass all understanding. I thank you personally, Lord God, for my beautiful wife, Father God, for just all of the work that you've done in her and through her, Father. I just thank you for the honor that I have and the privilege to be her husband. I thank you for the impact that she has been on my life, for her bringing me to you, Father God. That's just something which is so profound, so huge, Lord God. And I just thank you personally for that, Father. We thank you for the opportunity that everyone has had to hear her story this evening. And we thank you for this house. We thank you for our senior pastor and for his family, Lord. We just pray your blessings, protection, and just guidance upon all of them, Father God. And we just love you in this house. We adore you in this house. I just pray over every person that raised their hand that may be going through situations and anxiety and stresses and pressures right now, Lord. And I pray that you would just pull them closer to you, Father God, that they would understand with an open heart and an open mind that you love them, regardless of choices and decisions that they've made. We've all fallen down. We've all made mistakes. We've all made bad choices, Lord God. And yet you love each and every one of us. We don't deserve that, but it doesn't change the fact that you love us anyway. And we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that those people who raise their hands would feel that, would sense that, the same way that Molly did. 
those years ago, Father God, and that their lives would change. From this day forward, they would no longer be holding themselves in any form of condemnation or shame, Lord, that they would just embrace what it is that you have for them, embrace what it is that they have been through, and that they do with it what it is that you have called us to do with those things, and that is to impact other people's lives. It's to be an encouragement to other people, to bring hope to other people, and to bring those people closer to you. We love you, we praise you, and we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.